And so we come to near the end of John's gospel. 102 sermons we've looked at so far, counting today. We'll hit at least 103 before it's done. But I said in the Grace Notes article this week, it was like saying goodbye to an old friend, and it really is. Uh, I've enjoyed personally and grown personally by being in this this great gospel over the past, uh, over two years, because we took a few breaks in there, but almost two years worth of, of sermons from, from this particular gospel, the gospel of John. And it really comes as a, a, a time of sadness in one way, because the, the glory of Christ is seen so clearly over and over and over in John's gospel as these signs that John emphasizes about his deity and his lordship just kind of come to the forefront. It's a, it's a glorious gospel to think about the glory of Christ. But yet, as I think about it, I realize I've also just skimmed the surface with it. We've only just skimmed the surface in here. Well, even James Montgomery Boyce did 270 sermons on the gospel of John. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, one of my heroes of expositors who died in 1981, did 48 sermons just on John 17. No telling how many did on the whole gospel. I didn't take time to try to find out. Uh, so we've just kind of skimmed the surface on one, in one sense. But I hope that you and we together have seen the depth of the glory of Christ. Have seen the depth of his sacrifice as we move through that Passion Week. And, and we've seen that glorious resurrection. We'll, we'll encounter some of those things again next week. But today we come to almost the end of this book. Where John and... And Peter and the other disciples are there on the shore side with Jesus, as we've already seen. He's prepared them breakfast, invited them to come and eat, meeting their physical needs, meeting their emotional needs right there on the, on the shore side. And yet he continues to drive home spiritual truths that they need to realize and they need to understand, and, and just as importantly that you and I need to understand as he comes to this point. Last week we saw where he talked to Peter and said, Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, Lord, you know I love you. Three times he did that. And each time when Peter said, Lord, you know that I love you, he said, feed my sheep. And we saw that the, the real essence, the real motivation, the real power in ministry and in sharing the gospel is not in whether or not we love sheep, translate that people, but it's in whether or not we love the Lord. If you love me, feed my sheep. Not if you love the sheep, go feed them and go care for them. But if you love me, do it. And the motivation for real ministry will always grow out of our lives through our deep and abiding love and commitment to Jesus Christ. And that's, that's the bottom line. Today he carries it a little further, starting in verse 18. And Jesus kind of tells Peter and those others that are there with him, I want you to understand something that's very important, and that is that our times, your times, your life is really in the hands of the Lord. But we need to realize that when, when tough times come, don't we? That we've not been abandoned, we've not been left alone, and, and, and God never promised us a, a glorious best life now. He promised to be with us in the midst of horrible things. You know, I love what John MacArthur said, if our best life now is now, we've only got hell to look forward to because that's the only way this is the best. It's not. And, and, and so Peter and John are pondering this, these facts as Jesus is preparing 
to leave them, to ascend into heaven. And, and Jesus wants him to understand that no matter what happens in your life, Peter, no matter what happens in your life, John and other disciples, I am with you, and I'm caring for you, and I'm watching over you. Listen to what he says, beginning in verse 18, talking to Peter. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone will, else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Now, It's a euphemism the, the stretch out your hands. And that is a euphemism for crucifixion, for death, which Peter is going to experience in martyrdom. Uh, for, the, for his faith in the Lord. He said, you know, when you were younger, you did what you wanted to do. You went fishing when you wanted to go fishing. You followed me as I commanded you to do. You, you've been with me, and you've done all that because that's what you've wanted to do. But now, there's coming a time where others are going to bind you, and they're going to take you where you don't want to go. Verse 19. Now, he said this, Jesus said this, signifying what kind of death by what kind of death he would glorify God. That is, that Peter would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. That's John. Uh, the one who also had leaned back on his bosom at the supper. And he said this. This is what Peter said. Lord, who is the one who betrays you? So Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, if I want him to remain until I come, what is it to you? You follow me. Therefore the saying went out among the brethren that, the disciple, that this disciple would not die. But Jesus didn't say that he would not die, but only if I want him to remain until I come, what is that? To you. Um, imagine the picture. Jesus and Peter are walking along. John is coming behind them. Probably the other disciples are right along with John, and they're they're walking on the on the shore. They're walking there by the, the, the sea where they've just been fed a glorious breakfast of fish and bread by our Lord, reminding them of the feeding of the five thousand, reminding them even the breaking of the bread in the upper room, and they're they're thinking about this, this, the glorious times they've had with the Lord. And, and Jesus looks at Peter and says, Peter, you know, there's coming a time in your life, and it's coming very soon, that's going to be very difficult. As a matter of fact, there's coming a time when you're going to die. He says this signifying the type of death that he's going to die. And, and he said, they're going to bind you, and they're going to take you where you don't want to go, and they're going to stretch out your arms, and you're, you're going to die. Tradition tells us that Peter did indeed die by crucifixion. And so Jesus is talking about the way he's going to die there. And, and, and Peter is, is kind of caught back by that. But, but Jesus, John makes it clear that what Jesus wanted Peter to see is this is how you are going to glorify the Son. This is how you are, you're going to glorify me by, by, by living for me and then by dying for me. There's going to be a martyrdom in your life, and you're going to die because of your faith. But in the midst of that, you'll not deny me again. Remember, Peter's the one that had denied him three times. I don't know him. I don't know him. Jesus said, you're not going to do that. You're going to glorify the Son in what you're going to suffer. Now, I say often, and you know we talk about this a lot, Peter is a lot like us, isn't he? 
I mean, Peter speaks when he ought to keep his mouth shut. Uh, Peter says bold things when he's about to do something really dumb, uh, really, really uh, contrary to what he boldly proclaims. And, and so Peter doesn't do that here. He doesn't, he doesn't say, oh, Lord, I'll be glad to go to the death for you. Certainly, if that's what you want, Lord, that's what I'll do. He doesn't say that. But he does look back at John, and he says, well, well what about him? Aren't we like that? Lord, I, I know we're, we're, I'm having a tough time right now, but oh, so-and-so over here, they're not having as hard a time, and I'm not sure they're following you as close as I am. What about them? And, and, and Jesus looks at Peter very calmly and very, very easily and says, Peter, let me give you the Haynes paraphrase, that's none of your business. What happens to him is none of your business. Uh, you don't need to worry about John. If, if I decide for him to stay around till I come again, then then. What is it to you? What business is it to you? Mind your own business. That's really what he's saying to him. Because Peter is wanting to know, well, if I'm going to suffer, is John going to suffer just as badly? Now, we know that John lived a long and long life, was exiled to the Isle of Patmos, where he wrote the, the final book of the Bible, the book of the Revelation. And we see that in his life. So John evidently lived a rather long life, didn't, didn't tarry until the Lord comes. But the Lord didn't say he would. He just said, if I want him to, he can. If I want him to, he will. But that's not your concern, Peter. Several things that Jesus is reiterating in this passage to Peter and John and the disciples that really are just a summation of what he's talked about his entire ministry. As a matter of fact, in this passage, Jesus is sort of coming full circle with Peter and the disciples. He's coming right back to where we started in John chapter 1 in verse uh, 43 and a few verses prior to that when, when Andrew went to his brother Peter and said, Peter, you're not going to believe this. I, I found him. I found the Messiah. I met the one who is the very Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God. I met him. Come and let me introduce you to him. And, and Peter followed his brother down there and he went to Jesus. And Jesus said, listen, you're, you're a good fisherman, but I want you, I'm going to make you fishermen of men. And he simply said, follow me. I will make you fishers of men. Peter and John and the rest of them left their nets. They left their trades. Matthew left his tax tables. And they followed him for three and a half years. Some looking at, at this at that particular day, maybe even Peter himself, maybe thought our days of following are over. I mean, he's, he's been crucified. He's died on a cross. I'm sure that before the resurrection, they certainly thought their days of following were over because he was dead. And you don't follow dead men. I mean, dead men can't lead. Dead men can't do anything. They're just dead. And so they saw Jesus die. No matter what Jesus said about, I'm going to rise from the dead, I'm going to only be down three days, and then I'm coming back. No matter what he said about all that, they never expected that. And so I'm sure they thought we followed him from the time we left our fishing nets until the time we placed him in the grave, but all that following is over now. But Jesus is coming full circle again, and he looks at, uh, he looks at Peter in, in verse 19 and just says to him, follow me. He's no longer dead. He's no longer in the grave. He is a living Lord, resurrected from the dead, about to ascend to the Father, but to send the Holy Spirit for, for an empowerment of his church, 
to be witnesses beyond where they lived right then that would spread across the face of the earth. Jesus was now saying to Peter, listen, the, the thing is, you still need to follow me. I am still Lord. I am still King. Follow me. And he unfolds that in a very dramatic and very clear way so you and I can see what he's saying here. Really, Jesus is talking about the same thing that he talked about in Matthew chapter 8 that Brother Todd read just a few moments ago. The same thing he talked about in, in Luke chapter 9 was a parallel passage to, to Mark chapter 8. He, he said this, he said, And he was saying to them all, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. For what is a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Jesus is telling Peter he's going to die. He's saying that John may live as long as he wants him to, but the whole key to all of this is not that you worry about what somebody else is doing or what somebody else is not doing or what they're getting or what they're not getting or what you're not getting. It's not a matter of worrying about other people as far as I'm not getting my fair shake, Jesus says. He said, I want you to understand there are three things involved in being my disciple. And these were true for Peter and John. And folks, these are true for you and me today in the 21st century. First thing Jesus said was there has to be self-denial. If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself. That is to see life from a whole new perspective. We are born very selfish creatures. Do you realize that? We, we, you look around, watch babies. You want to see a selfish creature? Watch a baby. A baby wants what they want when they want it, and if you don't get it to them right at that moment, they will let you know in spades. I mean, they will scream and cry and, and do all sorts of things. And basically, all, they can't talk at that stage, but all they're saying is, I want what I want. I don't want to deny myself. I don't want to be left alone without food or, or a changed diaper or whatever else it is they want. I want what I want. I don't want it right now. I know a lot of 50-year-old babies. I mean, I'll be honest with you, I can be, I can't be a 50-year-old baby anymore, but I can, I can be a grown baby myself sometimes. The truth is, there's that inner, selfish, self-centered spirit that is a part of the fall that still resides in each one of us. I, I tell couples when we're doing premarital counseling, and some are in here this morning that we're doing premarital counseling with, and and I tell them constantly, you know, the, the biggest enemy to your marriage is self-centeredness. And, and, of course, they're, they don't think they'll ever be that way toward their mate because they love this person so much. And I said, just remember, it resides at the core of who you are. So Jesus says to his disciples, I want you to learn what it means to deny yourself. That doesn't mean, okay, today I won't have a cup of coffee. It doesn't mean, okay, today I will not eat something really extravagant that I want to eat. I'll just deny myself. We can come up with all sorts of little games that become very legalistic 
and you'll say, well, I'll just, I'll give this up so I'm denying myself. Folks, Jesus is talking about denying yourself at the very core of who you are and seeing his glory as the most important thing in your life. Denying yourself means saying, I am not the most important person in my universe. I'm not the center of my universe, but Jesus Christ is my Lord, and I am focused on Him. I am centered on Him, and I will, I will deny myself in order to be obedient to Him above everything else. Our culture doesn't tell us to do that, does it? Even our Christian culture, in many cases, doesn't tell us to do that. It says, get what you want. Feel good about yourself. Jesus says, listen, you want to feel good about yourself, learn what it means to deny yourself and put him first. Acknowledge him as Lord. Acknowledge him as the king. So he says there, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself. If he had left it there, we might could have said, well, he just means leave off a latte or or that piece of pie or something like that. And something I really want, but I'll just deny myself of it. But then he goes this next step. Take up your cross daily. Take up your cross daily. He's just told Peter, you're going to be, you're going to be put on a cross. You're going to be stretched out and, and crucified for your belief in me, for your faith in, and, and for the gospel's sake. But, but that's not really what he's talking about in, in Luke 9 and Mark 8 when he says, take up your cross daily. He's literally be crucified daily. Die to self daily. Die to self so that you might live to Christ. We, we, we show that in the baptismal experience when, when someone professes faith in Christ, repents of their sins, and follows him, as Jesus talks about here, then, then we talk about being buried in watery grave and raised to newness of life, being crucified and dying to self and being raised to Jesus Christ to be obedient to him. I mean, that, that's a beautiful illustration of what Jesus is talking about, but he's talking about here, you are to die every single day to your own lust, to your own passions, so that you might live unto Christ. Do I have to tell you that's not easy? Do I have to tell you that really is tough? Do I have to tell you that the Christian life is not for wimps? Religious life might be. I can be religious and flit through through this life as though nothing really matters, nothing's really absolutely significant. To understand what the reality of the cross is, is to realize that, that we are to see ourselves placed upon that cross every day. Really see that Jesus not only died for us on the cross, which he did, but beyond that, we died there with him as believers. Paul said, I have been crucified, and yet, and yet I live. But, but I don't live. I, I, I live on in the flesh, but I live for the glory of Christ. It's hard to do when you're making a living. It's hard to do when you're trying to figure out how do you, 
how do you put all this together in, in school and put all this together in the workplace and put all this together in, in even family life? It's exactly what Jesus says we're to do. Deny yourself. Take up your cross daily. And follow me. And follow me. Same thing he said to Peter and to Philip and to Andrew and to John. When he first found, when Andrew first saw Jesus, heard Jesus and said, we found the Messiah, the Christ. And he brought Peter to him and Jesus just simply said, Peter, follow me. In this passage, he says, Peter, follow me. See, Peter was having a little bit of trouble denying himself and understanding taking up his own cross because he still wanted to say, what about John? What about the disciple that Jesus loved? What about this one? Is he going to have it as hard as I do? And we all struggle with that. We all struggle with, well, what if I have to give up everything? Peter's going to have to give up everything, even his life. What if following Jesus means I have to pay a price that's, that's just you know, more than I really want to pay? I have to give it all up and, and follow him. What if, you know, some of you young people may be saying, well, what if, he, what if he calls me to go to a foreign country somewhere and live like we see people living in Peru in the mountains and other places even worse than that? What if, what if it means that? Okay. It means you'll go there to glorify God. See, that's the essence, and that's the purpose, and that's the center of this whole gospel thing that we talk about. When Jesus, throughout the gospel of John, and as we'll try to weave all that together next week in one package, this whole 102 sermons in one sermon, bring lunch next week. But that's the whole purpose. Jesus said, I came to glorify the Father. I came to obey the Father. I came to point men and women to the glorious triune God that we sang about this morning over and over and over again in those hymns and then broke out at the end there with the, with the doxology, you know, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, the triune God, who's the God we serve, who sets Him apart from every other little g God on the face of the earth. To glorify Him. You see, really and truly, when you take those words of Jesus, you must deny yourself and you must take up your cross and you must follow me. It really means changing your whole perspective on where glory belongs. We do. We live in a culture that says glorify yourself. Exalt yourself. Toot your own horn. Because if you don't toot your own horn, nobody's going to toot it. You know, you gotta, you, you got to show everybody who you are and, and why you deserve praise and why you deserve glory. And Jesus says, listen, the Christian life at the very heart of it, the gospel at the very heart of it, is we change our whole focus of glory. 
glorifying ourselves to glorifying Him. To desiring that wherever we are, 24-7, we pray that we would, would glorify the Lord. As I prayed this morning with, with Dr. White, Barry White on the phone, I was, I was taken that he told me, he said, you know, the verse that's just been sticking in my mind over and over again as we've been here in, at Cincinnati Children's Hospital, is what Jesus said back in John chapter 9. You remember John chapter 9? Sure you do. Don't turn there. I'll tell you what it says. When they had the man born blind, and, and, and the disciples said, Tell us, Lord, is, is this man blind from birth because of his sin or because of his parents' sin? And Jesus said, It's, it's not for either. This man's blindness is that the glory of God might be seen. This man's blindness is so that it is not because of his sin or his parents' sin. I'm talking about specific sins that, that brought it about. I mean, we all know that blindness and sickness and everything else is a result of sin in a, in a general sense, the fall, but not a specific sin. They, there wasn't something that he did and God said, okay, I'm going to strike you blind. He had it from birth. He hadn't done anything. It wasn't something that his parents did, and so God said, well, you know, because your parents were like this, I'm going to strike you blind. That's not it at all, Jesus says. That's such a, that's such a worldly mentality. That, that's the mentality of we only get bad things when we do bad things to deserve it, and we only do, get good things when we do good things to deserve it and earn it. You know, And we, we even sometimes view salvation that way, and that's wrong. This man was blind from birth that the glory of God might be seen. Now, in that case, it was by giving them the blind man sight. Could God have been glorified in that man if, if physical sight had never come back? Yeah. Because he could have been granted spiritual sight by the Lord Jesus Christ to believe in him and follow him and obey him. And even in the midst of his blindness, he would have glorified God. Now, these, this was in the front of a bunch of, of worldly people who didn't understand all that. So they needed to see a blind man from birth have sight. And so Jesus did that in order to demonstrate his glory, in order to show that he's the light of the world, in order to show that he is powerful over all sickness, all problems, and yet it's all for the glory of God. I don't know when you became a Christian. And I don't know when you trusted Christ. I don't know when you sensed that call by the Holy Spirit and you came to Him in repentance and faith. I don't know when that took place. But I want to tell you this. When that took place, here's what you heard. Follow me. Deny yourself. Take up your cross daily and follow me. Just like Peter did back in chapter 1, verse 34, uh, 43. 43. Same, same concept. You may not have heard it with the auditory ears, but you heard it with your spiritual ears. You heard it, you heard a call from the Holy Spirit of God saying, deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. And you said, I will follow, Lord. 
I want to follow. I desire to follow. And you, you, you made a commitment. You made a decision. You walked an aisle. You were baptized. You did all those things. But the real essence was not in walking an aisle or going even through the baptismal water. The essence was saying to Christ, yes, Lord, I follow you. Might have been 25 years ago in your life. Might have been, a, might have been 50 or 75 years ago in some of your lives. Here's what I want you to see. Take up your cross, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me was true that day. And it's still true today. It, 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 wasn't, it wasn't just something you say, okay, I follow him. Now I'm forgiven and everything's fine. That call goes out every... That's why Jesus said, take up your cross daily. Take up your cross daily and follow me. That's how we we sacrifice our own soul, if you will. We sacrifice ourselves. We give it up for his sake, for his glory, for his power, for his reflection in the world. And that way we don't lose it. When we try to hang on to it, when we try to be our own God, and and man is good at that, when when we try to rule our own lives as Lord of my life, I want to be my own Lord, we go back to the Garden of Eden, we go back to the original fall, we have the same problem that they had back then, I want to be like him, I don't want him calling the shots. Jesus said, here's what it is to be a disciple of mine, deny yourself. Take up your cross daily and follow me. Well, okay, Lord, but I'm, I'm willing to do that. I, 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 I want to do that, but what about him? Doesn't matter. It's none of your business. Why, he might prosper physically and materially and every other way, and you may, you may be crippled and, and worn and you may you may have physical problems and you may have sadness and you may have, that, that doesn't matter. I'm with you in the midst of that, just like I'm with him in the midst of the other. It doesn't matter. Mind your own business. Focus on your life, glorifying God. That's it. But what if they don't treat me nice? What if, I, what if I make that, what if I, I really want to follow Christ right now in the 21st century, 2014, and, and, and what if people don't respond well to that? Let me, let me settle that with you right now. They won't. Jesus said, if, if you follow me, they're going to treat you the way they treated me. If they listen to me, they'll listen to you. If they hated me, it's John 15, if they hated me, they'll hate you. It's not a culturally popular thing. I noticed just this past week, uh, the whole University of California school system, college system, expelled InterVarsity from their campuses. Threw them off. You know why? Because InterVarsity is a Christian organization, and that was okay. I didn't mind that. But InterVarsity said, if you're going to be an officer in this Christian organization, you've got to be a Christian. Now, anybody could come. InterVarsity has never turned anybody away. They don't stand at the door and say, let me see your baptismal certificate before we let you in. 
Anybody can come. But to be an officer, to be a leader, to be one who teaches and one who plans and one who, who, who sets the standard, if you will, for the, for the intervarsity meetings, that you've got to be a Christian to be a leader. And the world says that's bigoted. That's intolerant. Well, you ought to be able to let anybody be an officer. They don't have to be a Christian. To be an, uh, 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 I mean, is there anything more ludicrous in all the world than that? Jesus said, if you follow me, if you deny yourself and take up your cross daily, many out there are going to hate you for it. But I'm with you. They did it to me first. They're doing it to you now, but I'm with you. I'm there by my Holy Spirit giving you strength and giving you wisdom and giving you boldness and giving you courage and giving you what you need to face a world that will hate you. Jesus says, deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me. You say, well, I don't know if i got the strength to do that. Again, let me remind you, you don't. Now to really be able to confuse you here. He says do it and you can't do it. In your own strength. But here's the glory of it. His strength abides in you. His grace is made manifested in you. So that you do what he has called you to do. Even when you and your own strength can't do it. It's not even a paradox. It's just a truth. So he says follow me and I will energize you. Follow me and I will go with you. Follow me and I will never leave you alone. And I will be right there with you. And don't worry about your brother. Don't worry about your sister. Don't worry about what's going to happen in their life. You concentrate on what I've called you to do. And what I've called you to be. And you be obedient to follow, deny and crucify. And everything else will take care of itself. That's really what he's been saying for 21 chapters. You may be here this morning. You may say, man, I don't, I, don't, I don't understand what it means to follow Christ. Then ask his Holy Spirit to tell you, to show you, to help you understand what this word says. We'll talk about that some next week, about the whole enlightenment of God's word through those last two verses of this book. But the key is... He's called us, and he said to us, follow me. And we are such an idolatrous generation, we follow everything but him sometimes. We're so led astray, we're so distracted. I think he's saying to you and me all over again, you know, We've, we've followed him in some very difficult ways as Grace Baptist Church over the last eight years. No doubt about it. And he's always been faithful. And I think we, fresh and anew, need to hear the words, follow me. Let's pray.
Jesus has told us that he is the way, the truth, and the life in, in this gospel. And that no man comes to the Father but by him. And then he says, I'm the way, follow me. I am the truth, follow me by believing me. I am the light and the life. Follow me by seeing in ways you've never seen before because of my presence in your life and my word in your life. Follow me. Father, I ask you this morning to show us who we've been following, truly. And Lord, to bring us to repentance if that answer is not, I am following Christ. If we've let other stuff distract us, demand our allegiance, then Father, I pray that you will convict us of that this morning. Lord, bring us to repentance. Father, denying ourselves, taking up a cross daily, crucifying ourselves, seeing ourselves crucified daily on that cross, and following you is hard to even think about. And it's impossible apart from your grace. Fill us with your grace that we might follow you and you alone. Lord, we ask it in Jesus' name. I invite you this morning.